the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Alright, um, to start off, I want to clarify when we're recording this, um, just in case any moves happen and when you may be listening to this. It is uh, 4.07 on Tuesday, July 3rd. As of this moment, the Stars' only moves have been in free agency. We're obviously going to touch on that quite a bit in the podcast today. And if there has been a trade uh, and you're listening to this, then this was done before the trade. Um, Or, for all we know, the trade could happen while we're on the air because that's what happens this time of year. And with uh, with that, uh, Ryan, it's uh, it's good to be back on the podcast. How you been? Oh, you know, living the dream, as always. What does that entail? Living the dream now. That's uh. Um, I don't hate my life as much as I did last summer, but um, I I don't know. It's just busy. It never stops. I had my. Uh, well, I don't think we. I don't think we've talked since the playoffs. I had my my brief flirtation with Vegas Golden Knights bandwagon fandom, um, so that was fun. But here we are again, and it's like. It's like we've never left because I'm still pissed off at the stars. It's like nothing. See, nothing ever changes. How, it's always the same. How was your uh, your your roller coaster ride on the Vegas bandwagon? Um, it was very enjoyable. Uh, we went to Game Three, I want to say, against Winnipeg, and that was whew, easily the most unbelievable experience of my life. Just it was already rocking from the start. From the intros, I everyone knows the intros. Obviously, I saw enough about it on Twitter to last me a lifetime. But uh, thirty seconds into the game, Jonathan Marcheseau scores, and I thought the building was going to explode. And just the back and forth, all it was just if I, I get that it's kind of a difficult thing to say because one, Dallas has made two playoff appearances in ten years, and I happened to get lucky, and one of my friends from high school got season tickets to night's games in the initial ticket drive which came with playoff tickets so i got to go at no financial obligation to myself and obviously not everyone's going to be that lucky but if you could ever have the opportunity to go to a stanley cup playoff game 10 out of 10 recommend it's an it's regular season doesn't even come close to comparing and i love going to regular season hockey games it's just so engaging and anyone who's been to a hockey game obviously knows that the presentation even though I feel like it's gotten better since the days of the glow puck. The presentation with hockey games on TV is better than it used to be, but just nothing compares to watching hockey in person. There's no other sport that comes close to matching what hockey offers, but playoffs is just a whole other thing. And then the finals was just, meh, it happened. Oh, it would, uh, it'd be fun to actually have playoffs to cover in Dallas. Obviously, as you mentioned, there are two playoff runs in 10 years and, um, one series win between those two. So obviously a point of uh, distaste here in Dallas. No playoffs, no no real success to talk about other than kind of a one-year anomaly where they had the best record in the Western Conference. Um, and kind of the concept now where it's early July. It's the time where you try and hope that we're not having this conversation and talking about two runs in 11 years. Um but uh, this is the time where you start to build and you start to see if that the Stars will be a playoff, playoff team for next year. Um, just to run down what they've done so far, obviously the big things throughout the 
the spring slash summer Ken Hitchcock retires, whether that's a um, retirement was completely his choice or an organizational choice. It's, it was probably a bit of both, to be frank. Um, and then they bring in Jim Montgomery, who is the uh, who was the head coach in Denver, be a rookie NHL head coach this year. And then uh, the draft happens, but that one really won't have much of an impact on next season. Uh, long term, and we'll, we'll touch on the draft a bit, but long term, obviously, the draft is a bigger deal as opposed to this season. And then in the immediate impact, the stars, uh, they get back Val Nichushkin, um, who should have an Im- impact. We'll discuss how much of an impact that will be. And then in free agency, and that's where we'll start, sign three guys as far as NHL goes, three guys on July 1st in uh, Blake Como, Anton Hudobin, and uh, Roman Polak, who, uh, and once again, we'll talk about that in a second. It's a team, to me, that off the bat, they are, after day one of free agency, they are a better team than they were heading into last season. Are they? They're, but the word I would use is marginally better, while other teams in their division got considerably better. Um, how did you look at off the bat day one of free agency, how they handled things? What were your reactions to the signings, things along those lines, Ryan? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's marginally better, but if we're comparing that to the three or four other teams that they'll be competing with in the central division for a playoff spot, it's almost like it's a net negative because those other teams got, they added significant pieces, you know, I mean, the most recent one being we think through the signings, everything's done. And then, St. Louis comes out and they get Ryan O'Reilly for, on the surface, it looked like a pretty decent return, but if you kind of break that down, and it really depends on what you think of Tage Thompson as a prospect, they basically salary dumped Patrick Berglund and Vlad Sabotka, who I think they were trying to salary dump anyway, and then traded what should be a latter third of the first round draft pick, a future second round draft pick, and then a admittedly very good prospect, but I, it, again, it just depends on what you think of him. It's not like he was going to be that significant I feel like of a piece on that team next year anyway um in terms of Dallas I mean I think the Val signing was a foregone conclusion dating back to April so I mean it's hard for me to say that that was good on Jim Nill it's not it's not like like uh, yeah and, and not and on Nachushkin I see people talking about day one of free agency and I see grades and reactions from people who are uh whether it's either national writers or NHL.com grading how teams did on the first day of free agency. And a lot of people will say, oh, the Stars did well because they got Nachushkin back. I can't really include Val. I don't really include Val in this free agent class because Val leaving in the first place was a mistake, whether you whether, whether you want to put the blame on the player or the team. Either way, it was a mistake that the organization should have figured out before July 1st of 2017. Um and we kind of had known for months that he was going to be back. So I, I don't really think we can include him in the free agency class. Um, it's not it's not fair. It's, it's something that if you want to curve the grade of day one, then yes, you can do that. But really, this isn't – Val was a foregone conclusion. Val was always coming back. Um, so really, if you, if, if you think about it that way, in my view, what they did was – they upgraded Antoine Roussel. I don't like the term. I don't like the. I don't mind the Blake Como signing. I think he'll help. I think he's a good third liner. Um, I think he does a little bit for them, um, and I think he's a better option than Antoine Roussel. I don't like the three years. I don't like the three-year deal side of it. That's something I don't like. But in a vacuum, if we look at just the 2018-19 season, I'm good with it. Um, Anton Hudobin, I think, is 
he's a fine stopgap for two years until either Colton, till maybe Colton Point's ready. And that that was actually something we'll touch on a little bit. Colton Point turning pro was it was a win on free agency day. Um, and who to me, Hudobin is just a Hudobin's a good backup, but basically he's a 32 year old Kari Lettinen without the mental anguish that Stars fans have when they see a bad goal go in, as opposed to when Anton Hudobin plays. It's still basically Kari Lettinen. It's just there's no back history or backstory there where you see a bad goal go in and assume they're going to lose a game and they're up two nothing in. Um, and then I don't understand the Roman Pollock signing. I it's been I still don't understand the signing on that front. Um, it's 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 been sold. It's the team's pointed out that it's as a seventh. It's as a depth signing. They need to add something and. Either way, signing him for one year for $1.3 million, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if he's the seventh defenseman, I'm, I can live with it, and he doesn't. And he plays 12 games this year, I can live with it, but it also it doesn't. It tells me that you have no faith in Dylan Hetherington to be that seventh defenseman, or if you didn't have faith in Dylan Hetherington to be, be that seventh defenseman, you can find somebody else who is, why aren't you getting a seventh defenseman who you're paying 650 k as opposed to $1.3 million? Just and I know it's not a huge, huge amount of money, but as far as just in the salary cap, if every little bit helps. So I still don't understand the Pollock signing. Um, I, under, I, I see what they've tried to sell it as. I still don't understand it, and it's a move that that's the big puzzler to me from what they did on day one. I literally do not have anything original to add to what you just said because that's basically where I was going to go with that. If we'll, we'll kind of rewind here to the signing that's not going to impact I think the, the biggest signing that they made, honestly, on July 1st was a signing that's not going to help them until three or four years down the line. Because I do recall us having conversations. I, I don't remember if we were having conversations or if it was just spitballing where people were speculating that, hey, maybe Colton Point is one of those guys who ends up testing free agency after four years at Colgate because all of a sudden, you know, he's established, if, especially if he goes back to Colgate and has two years like he just had, he's established himself as one of the top young goaltenders young goaltending prospects in all of the league and Dallas went out and drafted a guy last year who theoretically should be ahead of him on the depth chart so getting Colton Point out early is a win he's a guy who should he, he kind of there's that logical line of secession now succession not secession we're not leaving anything hopefully a line of succession after is now it's starting to get set up which is good um Blake Como I mean sure fine whatever it's a good third line player but again if the argument for keeping Antoine Roussel was you don't want to pay a third line guy that kind of money you basically went out and did that anyway and granted Blake Como last year contributed more offensively than Antoine Roussel did but he's also what five years older and giving him three years I j- he's also he's gonna and Como's gonna be 35 in the final right exactly deal. so if you the, so. if you go that do two one or two years on that I mean it's not a deal that's gonna hamstring them long term on the, against the cap anyway but it's just I don't understand giving Blake Como three years. And then Roman Polak was just, I, you could, I don't understand. There's literally no logical reason to do that unless you are literally going to staple his ass to a chair in the press box and literally only play him if somebody gets sick the night of a game. Because even if you, you, you called me yesterday and I said this literal exact same thing to you. Even if you have a situation where a guy gets injured and is going to miss two weeks, you call up a guy in an emergency and that guy's playing over Roman Polak because Roman Polak wouldn't even be their fifth best defenseman in the AHL. Roman Polak is not good. Roman Polak is not an NHL player. And I don't understand how people keep giving this guy 
money to be an NHL player. I literally, he's not good. He is not good. He literally contributes nothing but getting in the way of shots, which in and of itself isn't even that useful. Like, if that's your only skill as a hockey player, you have to consider why are you in a position where you have to get in front of the puck so much anyway? And it's because he can't skate. He's he's slow. He's not nimble. He doesn't handle the puck well. I, I Okay, that's as mad as I'm going to get about that because I'm not going to waste time on it. Hold on. It's good because Sorry. It, it literally it's good if you look at it from the aspect that Last year, we went into the season anticipating Greg Pattern filling the role that Roman Pollock is going to fill, and Greg Pattern ended up playing his way out of that. There's literally no way in hell that Roman Pollock plays his way out of that role unless unless hockey people get in the way, because hockey people, like old school hockey people, just have that way about them, I guess. I don't know. I was told, I was told that in an ideal world, Toronto would have had Pollock back. But obviously, uh, he did not return to Toronto, and I think the fact that Lou left probably had something to do with that. Because Kyle Dubas actually has a brain. Kyle Dubas is actually smart, and Lou Lamarillo just... And not that Lou Lamarillo is not smart, but Lou Lamarillo is one of these old-school hockey people who value things like grit and intensity and intangibles that you can't measure, because that's how you justify signing a player who objectively is bad at hockey. Speaking of which... The Matt Martin trade today from Toronto to the Islanders. Is that a Dubas trade or is that a Dubas trade or or, or, or a Lou trade? I literally that speak like we could not have segued better into old school hockey people who value things like grit and toughness over actual tangible objective data saying that a hockey player is not good because Matt Martin is not very good. And that was I dude, I don't know. I don't know why Lou Lamorello would do Toronto a favor by taking a garbage contract off of their books to give them more money to re-sign Willie Nylander this offseason and then Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner next, but that's literally what he did. He took on a bad contract. He helped them out, and I don't know why he would do that after they just stole his franchise player. That's So do we think, is is Lou, and if you want to go conspiracy theory, is is Lou, did Lou go to wreck the Islanders for two months and then, like, August 1st he'll decide to retire and take, like, another role back with Toronto? I or... do. I do enjoy that <laughs> thought. I have seen that more than once, and it's, it's, I love the uh, inside agent go there and um, break up with John Tavares and then take on garbage contracts so Toronto can be really good. But, dude, I, dude, I don't know. I have I have no – like, there's no nothing logical about that trade. I just don't. I get that Matt Martin is – a fan favorite in Long Island, and he had a good career with the Islanders for a long period of time. And, but I just from a hockey standpoint, especially after the signings they made, like they signed a couple of guys who are like, oh, they're basically Matt Martin. Maybe not as tough, but from a usefulness standpoint, they're basically Matt Martin. So they go from having two of the best centers in the NHL to now they're going to be fielding two and a half fourth lines next year. With poor Matt Barzal trying to what do you will make them of forward. The, uh, what do you uh, what do you take from the whole Tavares Stars courtship? From a Dallas standpoint, or just in general? Yeah, no, from the Stars standpoint. Um, I mean, this is it a makes Stars sense. podcast. So, what do you it take makes, from the Stars? It's one of those things that I mean, they, they still need another forward. I mean, Nachuskin's a good signing. Uh, I mean, getting him back is going to help. But I mean, he's at this point a until he proves otherwise, he is a middle six winger who is going to contribute 
you know, maybe 20 goals if, uh, if things go well. Um, so I get, I mean, Radic Fox is a good center. And I, do, I wouldn't be upset with him starting the season as the second-line center, but when you have the opportunity to get a top 10 at his position guy, you obviously take the chance with it. And then a, a, someone put on Twitter, you know, pay him now and figure the rest out later, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's the way the Stars cap structure is set up right now. They're, they could have taken on John Tavares and still given Sagan an extension and not have been totally screwed by it. Um, I mean, hmm. it's... Like Jim Neal said in his statement, you know, we're honored that a player of this quality was willing to listen to us, which, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, well, you got left at the door, and you're like, oh, I'm really happy that the hot girl even agreed to go out on a date with me in the first place. Um, it's it's tough for me to say that, you know, they couldn't seal the deal because obviously there was something else at play there for John Tavares, and that's playing in his hometown, which is that Dallas would never be able to offer that to him. Um, so I, on one hand, it's cool that Dallas was able to get into the door and it's good that Jim Neal realizes that there's still issues with this forward group that need to be addressed but at the end it's you know no dice it did two things for it did two things for me the one thing it did is it set an expectation it set an expectation that a they at least are looking to fix the top six and b that expectation can go against them because if people go in with a hope of Tavares and the only forward you come out of the summer with is Blake Como, and this is not a, this is not a slight against Blake Como, it's just a slight against the role he fills. If you, if you have a fan base who goes into the offseason, hey, we may get John Tavares and all you get is Blake Como, that's a bit of a disappointment. So it's it creates a situation where he kind of set himself up to... You're waiting now for that next July surprise. What he when he he's gotten Radulov on July third in the past. He's gotten Sagan on July fourth. Now, basically, it sets you up where to really make this a team that can actually contend in this division. You need to either whether it's Panarin, if you if Panarin's really available, you need to trade for Panarin, or if. Uh, Go offer sheet stone, and no one's going to use an offer sheet, but go offer sheet stone, and I'd be gladly be willing to give up, give up what it takes to offer sheet stone for a guy like that who's in his prime. It's it's set up it's set up by not getting Tavares, but by being in the hunt, you've set up a situation where you it shows you know that you need to fix things, and now you actually need to do something because you have to show you actually have a plan B. We've talked quite a bit before about how Jim Nill takes big swings. He does a really good job of taking big swings. Um, and he's landed on them before, getting Radulov, getting getting Spezza when Spezza was still good, getting Sagan. But this is the summer that shows, okay, he took his there was there was there was option A, what was option B? And is op, is option B better than just Blake Como? That's what we're gonna find out, whether it's maybe it's twenty four hours, forty eight hours, or who who knows. But um can they fix the top six? Because it's still I look at this team and you tell me a second line of Yanmark, Spezza, and Nichushkin, and it doesn't scare me if I'm another team. It, it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I have I have two things I want to add to this, and then I want to touch on Mark Stone, which I guess Mark Stone kind of sort of plays into the second thing. One is it also shows name your core, namely Tyler Sagan, who you're now going to try like hell to re-sign in the next couple of weeks, that you are dead serious about bringing a cup to Dallas in the next five years. Because if they got Tavares, that's a we're going for it within the we're winning this thing in the next five years because after that 
that's when things are going to start getting hairy when you're paying an aging Jamie Benn and John Tavares and Tyler Sagan like $35 million combined against the cap. And that's that's when you start to get in trouble. It also, the Blake, now, the more I think about it, the Blake Como signing kind of signals, it doesn't really signal to me, maybe I'm just looking into it too much, that a trade is coming. Because that's a signing, like, Blake Como is going to contribute to this team what I feel like Jason Dickinson would if you gave him a significant role next year. To add another player like that and seemingly block quote-unquote prospects kind of signals to me that he anticipates some of those guys who could seemingly compete for that job not being here on opening night, whether that be, well, that would have to be via trade. Um, Which leads me to Mark Stone. I get, I, I would love for them to offer sheet Mark Stone because I agree, even if you give him a salary where you would have to give up your first three draft picks next year you're if you get mark stone you're gonna i would think you're gonna be a playoff team and at that point it's basically like you're trading scratch off tickets for an established very good winger in the nhl um i don't think you'd necessarily would have to offer she him though because he i can't really see him wanting to sign a long-term deal in ottawa i could see him signing something that gets him to unrestricted free agency because I don't know why anyone would want to be on that team right now. Because they're going to be garbage for a pretty significant period of time now. And it's a team that intentionally lowballed Eric Carlson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a team that is intentionally that offered, and, and they, you know, the team leaked it. The team leaked it that, that they put out, offered Carlson $10 million a year for eight years, intentionally less money than Dowdy. Um, intentionally lowballed Eric Carlson. So Carlson's going to be gone. Um, apparently the stars are in the mix on that front from what I've heard. Um, I'll ask, I'll ask you this, your opinion on it. Stars being in the mix on Carlson worth it, not worth it. Just as you look at it, how do you see that potential acquisition? If you can't get a forward, I say you might as well, because you need to add something. And I hate the, Mm-hmm. thought process of making a move for the sake of making a move because that's when you make dumb decisions but they need to make a move because if they don't they're very likely going to be on the outside looking in next year just based on what teams are in their division have done and i mean he's going to make the team signal it's not like i especially if you're right now anticipating that julius honk is going to be a top four defenseman next year he's placed the same i this is not as a horrible comparison to make but they are stylistically wise at least similar players so if you're replacing Julius Honka with Eric Carlson if you're if you're anticipating Julius Honka being in your lineup uh, putting Eric Carlson in there doesn't make the Carlson Klingberg duo redundant because you're just making that situation better then um to me it just I mean I hate to sit here and haggle over acquiring arguably the best offensive defenseman that of this generation um I mean it comes back to price um Though, I mean, if you're sitting here and you're saying the asking price is going to be like something like Honka Gurionov plus another prospect plus a first round pick, I'm still going to do it. I don't care. I You you get Eric Carlson in Dallas all of a sudden has a blue line that can feasibly complete, compete Excuse me, with Nashville as best in the league. Well, it's in, in theory with, uh, and someone asked me, I having a conversation with somebody on Twitter about this because somebody asked, oh, what is, what is that? You get Carlson, what does that mean for Klingberg? What does it mean for Klingberg? They each play 24 minutes a night and 48 minutes a night. You have the best defenseman on the ice. You have the best offensive defenseman in the NHL on the ice exactly. for 48 minutes a night. Exactly. Like, you sit here and you're looking at how does, how does Nashville make it work with Matthias Ekholm and Ryan Ellis 
and P.K. Subban and Roman Yossi. They make it work because they're all great freaking players. It's just, you sit here and you're looking at a top four of Miro Heiskanen, John Klingberg, Eric Carlson, and Essa Lindel, and no particular order, that's a top four that's competing with just about everyone else in the NHL. And your third pairing become and Steven, I mean, I've always thought that in a perfect world, Steven Johns is the perfect third pairing defenseman. I've always, and this is not a this is not a comment. Steven Johns' ceiling is Steven Johns is a top four defenseman on an average team. Like on a on a average team, I think on a, not an average team, sorry. Uh, yeah, on an average team, Steven Johns on a team that makes the playoffs, Steven Johns is a top four defenseman. On a team that contends for a Stanley Cup, Stephen Johns is a third-pairing defenseman. He's the guy who is physical, can kill penalties, but can move the puck well. And this is this is not a commentary on Stephen Johns. This is a commentary on roster construction. If you can have Stephen Johns as your third-pairing defenseman, you have a defensive unit that actually competes for Stanley Cups. Well, right. And you look at, like, San Jose, for example. You have Brent Burns, who's still one of the top defensemen in the NHL. Mark Edward Vlasic, who's one of the top defensemen in the NHL. Justin Braun, who's taken significant leaps to become a very good defender in the last couple of years they got absolutely eaten alive by by vegas because their bottom pairing was garbage and they didn't trust them to play if you're coming out now and you're you got that top four that we that i just said and then you have steven johns and dylan hetherington for example on your third pair that's a third pair you can trust that's not a situation where you're getting into playoff games and you got to play john klingberg and eric carlson 35 40 minutes in a single overtime game because you don't trust your third pair to be out there in any situation you have a complete defensive group then. Yeah. And and then, then the other factor in all of this, too, that just we talk about defensive group, and I don't think people realize, and, and I'm not trying to overhype the kid, but I don't think people realize, some people do, but I don't think a lot of people realize how good Miro Heiskinen is going to be. I think that's something that the general, for that reason alone, the Stars are better going into this season than they were last year. Um kid's the real deal. The kid is going to be, he has potential to actually be that franchise changing defenseman. He's arguably, he's probably, he, he is their best prospect since Mike Madano. Just, I think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's hyperbole to say that. And he has a, he has a chance where, whether it's this season or the following season, he's one of your top two defensemen on, on your team by the, t- before he turns 21. And that has nothing to do with the other guys even declining. That just is how good he can be as a player. Yeah, he just watching him play, it's smooth, it's composed, it's exactly what you want in a defenseman. And I mean, he's not, I don't think he's going to be a guy that comes over and immediately puts up, like the when Charlie McAvoy came into the lineup last year, he's immediately coming out. And he almost, I don't remember how many points he finished up last year. He was 40 plus points, closing it on 50. I don't know, remember if he got 50 or not. But Miro's not going to be a guy that does that in his first year, but he's a guy that's going to get that very soon in the NHL. He has that offensive ceiling. It may and, not here's be the thing like, about Heish. It might not be like a Victor Hedman-style offensive ceiling, but he is going to be a point producer at the NHL as well. And the thing about Heishkin and where he's going to come in, and the thing that, that he has that we talk about guys, oh, they're offensive-minded defensemen, and, the thing that they, and then we talk about, okay, well, they have to learn how to play defense in the NHL. They have to learn the things. Heishkinen... His attention to small details, his ability to, if you watch him play, if you go through the video and you watch him closely, that's where he just shines. It's the type of plays that you're not going to notice. And this is not, I'm not comparing him to Nicholas Lindstrom as setting this bar. This is not, let me clarify that. I'm not setting the bar as Nicholas Lindstrom, but style-wise, it's 
he can be good the way Lidstrom was good, where Lidstrom was, he'd be out there, nothing would happen when the other team had the puck. And then you'd realize after 10 minutes, like, hey, whenever that guy's out there, nothing bad happens. The way he, his attention to minor details, the way he can get the stick lift in the guy in the front of the net, the way he reads the passes, his gap control as a teenager is better than the gap control on every single player on defenseman on the Stars already. <laughs> and it's, and now maybe, maybe that changes going to North American rank and maybe there's adjustment for that, but his, he is, he has all those tools to be a complete defenseman and he's that good. It's, it's, it's. Now, maybe he'll turn into a bus, and then people, we can go burn the tape, but by all accounts, he's that good. Don't you put that Don't you put that thought into the universe, Sean. Well, um, he's, he's that good. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to the draft? Because I have a tea time in about an hour that I have to make. You have a tea time? I have a tea time. <laughs> all right, fine. Sticking with, pros- sticking with prospects, we'll go to the draft. Um Eight picks, the eight picks. The first pick being Ty Delandria out of Flint, which is a bit of a surprise. And uh, I don't think it was a bad draft. I think there was. I think there's some some value in this draft. Um, I was not. I did not have Delandria going that early. And uh, it's the type of draft. And it's, this actually kind of is sim- in a similar structure to how we looked at free agency. It's the type of draft that if Denis Gurionov had hit, uh, if Denis Gurionov had hit, if Honka was playing big minutes already, it's the type of thing where we'd look at the Delandria pick and say, you know what, this scouting staff knows when to make the reach and they know when to grab the right guy and the guy they pick, so we should trust them. Um, Delandria could be a great pick. I think he's, I mean, he's a great human being. I talked to him during development camp. He's a good kid, all that stuff, but. Because of their past history, we have to look at it with more skepticism because should they have gone with that guy at 13? Of course, and that's I added to that a lot on draft night because I went on a nice little five-tweet rampage about it because it's exactly that, that this team has lost the right to have the benefit of the doubt when it comes to a pick like this. And, I mean, looking back on it now, um, I've cooled down a lot on it. I think it was a decent pick at the time. I wonder what the deal was with Joe Valeno for him to fall all the way to 30 because there had to have been something going on behind the scenes there. Um, Part of the the, the Delandria thing that I am interested to see is he had a really good second half of the year and I'm interested to see how that carries into this year. And I feel like it's best to reserve judgment on it until we watch that because the one, the pause that I have with him is people comparing him to Radic Foxa as of right now, which is good. If we had another Radic Foxa on this team, that's a great thing because Radic Foxa is one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL right now. And he's hopefully only going to get better offensively. And this was something I thought this, that's a topic for another time. We'll talk about that sometime else. But the thing is with that comparison is when Radic Foxa was drafted, he was projected as a top six forward with offensive upside. And it wasn't until he, after his draft here in Kitchener, when things kind of started to stall out for him offensively, that he became the player that he kind of is now. That's the reason that I have pause with it, because if we're projecting... Because originally Fox's ceiling was projected... Like I said, Fox is a great player, and he's incredibly valuable to the Stars franchise, but he's not quite at the ceiling as to what he was projected to get, if that makes sense. And we're projecting Delandria's that's ceiling. That's fair. That's fair. And we're projecting Delandria's ceiling to be where Fox's is now, which is lower than where Fox was coming out, which 
kind of gives you pause thinking that, well, what is Delandria's ceiling truly? Because if you take a borderline third, fourth line center at 13th overall, you could have gotten that later in the draft. So I'm interested. I am. I walk back from completely hating the pick to kind of taking a let's wait and see approach. Let's see how he comes out this year and plays. And then I'll reserve judgment on it until after. For, for, for me, as I said, I don't dislike the pick. I, I, I don't. I don't dislike the pick to an extent where you want them to blow everything up right now, but they don't have the benefit of the doubt. They don't have, they don't get that advantage for me to say, okay, I trust what they're doing. This needs to pan out for me to say, okay, next time you take a pick like this at 13, or hopefully you're not picking at 13 anymore because hopefully you're not picking till at least uh, 15th, right? If I'm doing my math correctly to be a playoff team. Yes, at least 15th. <laughs> like, hopefully... Hopefully you're not picking till the second half of the first round anymore, but um, they don't have they don't get the benefit of the doubt right now. I, I do wonder, and this is not obviously other teams. Valeno was it basically for the stars. I can say this: it came down to either Valeno or Delandria, and they picked Delandria over Valeno. That's that was what it came down to for them. And um, going into the draft, the stars thought. Um, the Stars thought at 13, their choices, they thought they were going to get one of the three. They thought they were going to either get Barrett Hayton, um, Ty Delandria, or Valeno. And the fact Hayton went much, I don't think, that was Hayton a shock to got me. put in a position, that was a shocking pick. Um, the kid, I think he's going to be an NHL player, but I think, he, I don't, he wasn't the fourth, he wasn't the fourth, uh, was the fifth or fourth pick for Arizona. Either, either way, he's not, he wasn't. Either way, he wasn't a top five player in this draft. He's a top fifteen player in this draft, but he wasn't a top five player in this draft. Um, so the stars come down to okay, we get to thirteen, and it's either Delandria or Valeno, and that doesn't mean the two guys that uh, the two players that that went to the Islanders before, if either of them had dropped, the stars were going to take one of those two. Um, they were still going off their board, but their expectation was this who would be available at thirteen. Right. Um, obviously, Valeno. Valeno is an interesting case to me because I wonder if Valeno becomes like the Tolvanen or the Klim Kostin from the past couple of years, the guy who drops and gets taken at 30 and becomes one of the better prospects for whatever reason, something that we don't know about. Um, I mean, Tolvanen, Tolvanen dropped for a couple reasons. Kostin dropped because he was Russian probably. Yeah, Tolvanen dropped because he didn't make the grade to get into B.C., and BC is an academically yeah. prestigious university, so it's not like that's a huge red flag or anything at all. But, I mean, I guess they bend the rules for athletes, but whatever. Stupid reasons. Yeah. So I, I wonder if Valeno just becomes that guy who's at 30. I mean, all credit to Detroit. You get Zadina and Valeno. Yeah, God. they had pretty good haul for the Red Wings. Two guys who went, should have gone higher than they did fall right into their laps. This is a fantastic draft. I mean, the Islanders, too. Same thing happened to the Islanders. Mm-hmm. Um, that's first round. You look at the rounds two through two through seven, and really, I mean, really after the fourth round, you're just taking shots. And we after the fourth round, you're taking shots in the dark. It's as much as people people give the stars credit. Oh, the fifth round is where they shine. This is where they draft Jamie Ben and John Klingberg. They were both shots in the dark. Let's let's not let's not give let's not give too much credence to that. I mean. They took Austin Smith the pick before Jamie Ben. If they only had one pick in the fifth round that year, they would have taken Austin Smith instead of Jamie Ben. So don't give them credit for <laughs> so so don't give them too much credit for their fifth round success. Everyone's taking shots in the dark in the fifth round on. Um, 
So I don't really want to focus on those guys too much because it'd be nice. Um, and Jermaine Lowen, though, like he was the seventh round pick from Kamloops. Um, he's the guy who I'm rooting for most from this draft because just because of his story being the first Jamaican-born player drafted in the NHL. But I, I want to look at the after that. The uh, I want to look. Sorry, not after that. Earlier, look at picks in rounds two through four, and I actually think they did a decent job with that. Um, maybe. Some people might disagree with me, as, as Erickson might have been. Some I know some people thought Erickson shouldn't have gone as high as he did in the second round, but I like the Erickson pick. Um, I know he's run into some in Team Sweden. He's not on the their national team, but that's an issue actually with coaching, and that could be – I don't know everything on that side, so it could be an issue just on the coach. It could be an issue on him. Who knows? But I actually like the Erickson pick. Um, the second Swedish kid who – why am I drawing a blank on his name right now? Um, do you have the draft board right in front of you there? No, I don't. Give me a sec. Yeah. The, uh, the second Swedish kid who is, his name is missing my, is, why can't I remember his name right now? Anywho, I think he's good two-way center, kind of ideal spot in that third round. And then I actually think there's a good, I I like Adam Masker in, in the fourth round. I know he was, he's 20 and an overager, but basically I feel like you're getting a second round talent in the fourth round and a guy who can actually jump into the AHL right now. Um, I think second through four rounds, rounds two through four, they did a decent job. I think that's, um, that, that was decent. Um, I'm still, I'm still, jury's still out on whether Delandria should have gone where he, where he did, but do you disagree? What are your thoughts on after, after round one? Uh, third round guy was Oscar Bach. Yes, Oscar um, Bach. Other than that, I mean, which is it's actually pronounced it's it's pronounced it's pronounced more like Beck actually, Beck. Oscar Beck. Beck, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I like the Erickson pick. Big body, big skill. Obviously, you can never have an. Uh, Dallas has a lot of those guys. I feel like that's the Jim Nail mo is big body with skill. But I mean, you can never have too much of those guys. Um, I do like the Maskerin pick as well. I thought that was, I mean, he's a small guy, and I feel like those guys kind of get a bad rap. Um, I feel like if we're looking at one pick of this draft pick ends up being sneaky good for Dallas at least it would be that one um because obviously I mean what was he was like 38th overall by Florida a couple years ago ended up going back into the draft so I he's obviously a talented kid he'll be in the AHL right away next year or ECHL I guess it depends if he makes mm-hmm. the team out of camp but um that'll be one to keep an eye on he should he should be an AHL player yeah, I mean I think he god I looked at let me see if I'm gonna pull up his hockey DB page because I think he had a really good year last year too um he scored i believe he scored he scored at least 35 each of his final three seasons i think it was might have been 35 40 35 or 35 35 40 I, either way he's been a 35 plus goal scorer yeah each season he, in the uh, with kitchener uh, the last three seasons 40 goals 46 assists in 76 games and then he had another 24 points in 19 playoff games so obviously a talented player and um i am interested to see what he does all in all it wasn't a bad draft it, it, i mean they added some good good forward depth to the organization at bare minimum which i think was needed based on kind of the focus on defense the last couple of years yeah not a bad draft and it's one of those where give it an okay grade because they haven't earned our <laughs> they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt that's just if if, if this was if this was Na- if this was nashville's draft we'd look at it and say you know what I, I trust what nashville's done in the past so this is a really good draft but being this is the stars draft, we have to look at it with a slight, with some slight leeriness, just to be like, okay, let's see if it actually pans out. But it has potential. Agreed. Agreed.
With uh, we've talked a lot about guys coming in and, and, and pe- people being added. We talked about the free agents and the draft and such. Um, the other interesting thing that I've happens on free agency is guys leave the organization. Um, and you have Kari Lettinen at this moment is still looking for a job, and that was a Kari Lettinen would have been back here if not for his uh, that eight game losing streak wasn't completely Lettinen's fault. Far from it. The whole team basically fell apart but um it was that that was the final straw that broke the camel's back on Lettinen where the stars looked at it and said we can't have another collapse with Kari and goal we just can't they had to move on um and that's why he's still looking for a job and then you have Antoine Roussel who talk about somebody taking advantage has anyone ever scored five goals in a season and then gotten rewarded with 12 million dollars I don't know that was unbelievable to me like that's a contract that that's the type of contract Roussel was looking for that he got from Vancouver and good for Roussel, but that's a deal that when uh, when 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 Seattle enters the league, uh, Vancouver fans are going to be arguing whether are going to be argue, are going to have the tough decision of whether to be angry at Roussel or Jay Beagle to see who should be uh, who should end up in Seattle. Yeah, no kidding. I I don't know what Vancouver's doing either. Good God. And then you have uh Greg Patterson signs with Minnesota. Good for Patterson. Good guy. That I'm glad Greg got paid. Um, kind of glad. Pretty happy from from a Stars fan perspective. You're happy he wasn't getting paid by Dallas. Um, and also, I don't see why Patterson would want to come back to Dallas in general. If, if he was going to come back here, it probably would have to be in a seventh role. Um, Dan Hamhuse is still looking for a job at this moment. And um, who else am I forgetting? Anyone else? I think that was it. That was it, and then and then not from an NHL level. Um, well, he played a couple of games in the NHL. So Curtis McKenzie sides with Vegas, and good for Curtis McKenzie who took advantage of that AHL playoff run, and he'll be a he'll be re, re uh, reunited with his buddy Riley Smith in Vegas, his former college roommate at Miami. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Good point. So, um, any free agent that leaves that mi- that 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 goes and you really miss because I, I, I don't that's the thing no, like, I, I look was at gonna it, say the, like i look at it and it, the one that i'm saltiest about is that dallas didn't give an nhl deal to sheldon drees if we're being completely honest right now um other than that i mean for the price uh Roussel will be missed i think from the off-ice perspective i mean obviously a fan favorite and an all-around seemingly good dude off the ice um so that kind of stinks but like you said good for him for a, a guy who earned everything that he's had in the nhl through hard work and perseverance so you like uh, you really like seeing guys like that get rewarded and i mean same thing for greg pattern i mean he was on the his career was kind of stalled out in montreal he gave me here and he took advantage of his chances here and now he's getting paid for it so good for him but like i tweeted out over the last week i'm two guys i'm glad that dallas is not footing the bill because those are not going to look like good contracts in a couple years um no i mean no complaints with the guys that dallas let walk off nhl deals otherwise yeah in, in, in a video game world where there's no emotions or anything like that, you get Curtis McKenzie back. I mean, in a video game world where where there's no, um, where he hasn't been roadblocked, and, he, and you can bring him back to the bring him back for a similar deal to be your AHL captain. Curtis McKenzie's back, but it's not a video game world. It's right. a thing where McKenzie obviously saw the writing on the wall. McKenzie played Curtis McKenzie basically played the AHL the Calder Cup playoffs with the chip on his shoulder that I'm going to show 31 teams that I need a job next year and. 
you know what? He signed with a team that lets Ryan Reeves play in Stanley Cup playoff games, so who knows? Maybe Yeah, <laughs> maybe you're talking, play, you're talking play about the, the team that's, that's the Golden Misfits that gives seemingly anyone a chance. I mean, he picked the team to go to, so good for him. Yeah, good for McKenzie. Um, let's let's talk about Sheldon Dries. And um, the thing about Sheldon Dries, and it's a uh, we have some listeners who may not know who Sheldon Dries is. So for the quick uh, the quick spark notes on who Sheldon Dries is, the AHL contracted center out of Western Michigan, um, signed an AHL deal with the Texas Stars this year, uh, outscored Dennis Gurionov in the AHL, was the third player in Texas Stars franchise history to hit double-digit goals in a playoff run, joining Curtis McKenzie and Jamie Benn. And throughout the playoffs, I talked to multiple scouts who looked at Dries as a guy. It's like, this is a guy we want to sign to an NHL deal. He's five foot nine. He's a little bit shorter, but he's the type of guy where I've talked to scouts who have said that he's the type of, if he can get good at, if he can establish himself in the face-off circle and become a good face-off guy, he becomes a guy who kills penalties in the NHL, can take late-game face-offs, and he's not as big as Rich Peverly, but someone used that word, says, look, think of the role that Rich Peverly played and how Rich Peverly made his way to the NHL, just as far as winning big face-offs, killing penalties, and that's what Sheldon Dries can do. And I was kind of stunned the Stars weren't able to sign him to an NHL deal. Now, I think from Dry's perspective, he made the right decision because I look at Colorado's center depth, and there's way more chances to make the NHL in Colorado than there are in Dallas. But it is a miss by the Stars because they could have signed this kid to an NHL deal. They could have signed him to an NHL deal three months ago. They didn't have to wait till July 1st since he was on an AHL contract. Um, it feels like a miss. It feels like a miss to me because they didn't handle this earlier. And but good on the kid who took advantage of his options. And I look at the center depth in Colorado and much better chance to play in the NHL sooner there than it is here. Agreed. And it would have been a low-risk signing, too, so it's not like it's anything like that. You was going to be too unaffordable or anything or whatever, you know? I do I do like the signing of Joel Esperance. I, th- I think that's a nice kind of add to the system, just as far as it's, it's a low-risk, maybe reward signing, who knows. Um, another guy who I just think underrated, and maybe I just... And I may be completely wrong, but I think I actually really like the Michael Mersh signing. I think that's a low risk, good AHL player guy who can be a good fourth line fourth line winger and guy who can actually score the occasional goal in the NHL if he ever works his way up to that. So I was I actually thought that signing was pretty good. Um, overall, um, really the big thing from free agency as far as depth and and you touched on it already, was the Colton Point signing, getting him to come out of college and play. And and it's going to be, if he can have a great year next year in the AHL, Stars are actually in a good spot as far as their future goaltending goes. Um, I need to see, I need to see proof of that, obviously. This is one, Colton Point had one tremendous season in Colgate. His first, his freshman year was kind of completely wiped out by mono and injuries and stuff like that. But his second, his sophomore year was tremendous. If that's not an anomaly, the Stars actually are in very good shape as far as the goaltending plan goes. But, once again, we need to see it happen. Agreed. Um, I gotta go. I'm being summoned. How many holes are you playing? Nine or 18? Just nine. Just nine? Real quick, okay, before you go, before you go, uh-huh. I need your impressions, because we were asked about this on Twitter. I need your impressions of the coaching staff. Um, A-plus hires all around. Um, I think it's hilarious that we were both kind of driving the train for Todd Nelson as the head coach and they ended up getting him on the staff as well and I 
the dude that they brought from Tampa, whose name I can't remember, just sounds like the perfect hire for uh, a bonus. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like the perfect hire yeah. for a rookie head coach to kind of help him get acclimated to the NHL. And obviously he's been a part of what has been a successful organization since pretty much the last lockout, if not before that. So yeah, always good to add those guys to the organization. Yeah. I think the coaching staff, as long as Montgomery makes a transition, they'll be in good shape. Um, um, with that, we'll let Ryan go play his golf game. The uh, we'll probably if I'm assuming the stars make a trade at some point, we may record. It depends on that. Also depends on my life situation because I have a wife who is 40 weeks pregnant and literally due on July 4th. So if we don't record after a trade, that's probably the reason. And uh, everyone, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back, I guess, soon enough. <laughs>